Okay, so uh, we're going to start with finishing up on prophecy. We talked about what it is yesterday. Prophecy is a human report of something that God spontaneously brings to mind. That human report is fallible because it's human. The origin of the information is infallible because it's God. So it is a revelation that he makes. And then we report it. And he does it for the edification of the church. So it's one of those gifts. Uh, prophecy is a gift that he's given to the church for the common good, for our upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And so that's a good thing. And uh, as if you've experienced it, and I have a number of times, whenever you realize, wow, God knows me, and he is speaking to me, he's personal, it just, also, it just so encourages your faith, and so often it gets you through something um, that you know, the word of God is the base for everything, but there are times when he also gives you that personal touch. Prophecy is one of them. Um, sometimes it's descriptive. The secrets of men's heart are disclosed, we learned. Sometimes it's predictive, like Agabus saying there's going to be a famine. Um, you don't know. One thing I should say, and maybe we'll get more into this in the Q&A, like what does it actually look like? I gave you a couple of examples of one that, a prophecy that was given to me before I went on my sabbatical. This woman had a picture of a little boy walking with his dad, having fun in the mountains. And I've seen prophecies or prophetic words often have that kind of a nature to it. Uh, I had this picture of this or that, and it seems like the Lord is saying this or that. And um, the person who that is for really resonates with it. Like, if that's God actually speaking to you, you feel it like as a personal insider information kind of a thing. Whereas everybody else on the outside, if it's not for them, they think, I don't know, that just sounds like a nice fluffy thing to say. <laughs> uh, not rich content there. But for the person that it's for, that really hits home, like it did for me uh, with, that, with that prophetic word before I went on sabbatical. So a lot of times it's pictures, sometimes it's details, uh, like the Spurgeon example, where he points to a guy and he tells him what he did on Sunday and he never met him before. Um, there is that. And um, Mark Prater's prophetic team, when they came down to minister to us in the pastor's college, they, they had insider information about like five or six of us, <laughs> including my wife, actually. Um, she also got prophesied over and they were just describing her past, which, like, as her husband, I'm like, that's absolutely right. And there's no way you could know that because you don't even know us. When that kind of thing happens, it does have the effect of encouragement, of upbuilding and consolation. So that's why it matters that we pursue these things. said earnestly desired, especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy has, I think, a way of encouraging um, there's tongues and interpretation that can also do that. But it seems like he wants prophecy in particular um, because not only you hear it, but other people hear it and you rejoice in it and they realize God is real and all of this. It just has a great potential to build up the church. So I think it's worth the whole time we spent on it yesterday. And today we'll finish up with how it's practiced. Now I got this whole session from Mark Prater because his church, Covenant Fellowship Church, has had a prophetic team for probably 30 years. I mean, long time. They have training for their prophetic team. Um, they often go around to different churches if they're invited to speak on this and to actually give prophetic words to people. It's very helpful. We had them do that for us. So I looked to him for like, okay, how do you practice this, Mark? What does this look like in the church environment? Mm -hmm. We try to imitate that a little bit, but uh, we have a long ways to go. So I'm giving you Mark's stuff, and I'm throwing in my comments here and there. 
So just so you know, the credit goes to Mark Frater. Okay, how is it practiced? How do you pursue the gift of prophecy? Uh, A, you pursue God, first of all. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 again. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. You see there the Trinitarian involvement in the gifts. The Spirit, the Lord, God. Well, that's the Trinity right there. They are the one empowering this thing. And so it's his church, and he's giving gifts to his church. So we're pursuing him. The gifts are only supposed to help us to really appreciate and enjoy our God and to be more enamored with him and more zealous to follow him and to do his will. So if we're pursuing God, then we are going after what the gifts are even for to begin with to help us to encounter and know the living God. So that, that's what he says here. You should pursue God. Uh, pursue the one who gives the gift. The giver is always more important than the gift itself. He says, our public use of gifts should overflow from our private pursuit of God and his spirit. Uh, amen to that. And that means reading, meditating on his word, so his observation is those who are most effective in prophetic ministry are those who love God and love his word. It is possible to be a fairly immature Christian and have prophetic words. Um, but that's probably going to be used in an immature way where there's maybe overconfidence in what I have to say, sort of a thus says the Lord sort of an attitude and maybe with embellishments, you know, the Lord gave me something, and then you just kind of go on with it. And there's a way that it can be used inappropriately and uh, with too much flair or who knows what else. But the person who's walked with Jesus for a long time, who has the mind of Christ, who has some humility, which is one of the things we'll talk about also, then that word is going to come across more the way God intended it, with the right attitude, with the right motivation, informed by scripture, um, so that one knows what the boundaries are. So I think he's right there. The, the most effective in prophetic ministry are those who love God and love his word. And, and his team is definitely like that. Um, yeah. That's number one. B, pursue love. So 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Love is the distinguishing mark of the Christian. They will know you, you are my disciples if you have love for one another, he said in John 14. So the gifts are not the distinguishing mark of the Christian. There, there, there should be spiritual fruit in your life. There should be, everybody has gifts, each one has a gift. But the distinguishing mark that Jesus drew attention to is your love. And that love can be exercised through the gifts. It should be. The way that we use our teaching or our prophetic word or whatever should be in love. Um, but love itself is the distinguishing mark. And that's what was missing in the church in Corinth. That's why you have chapter 13. So gifts are for the common good to serve others be growing in your love for people, and you'll be growing in your gifts. Even us as pastors, teachers, you know, we can teach in a way that isn't loving, and we can ruin people with a lot of just arrogance or uh, self-promotion or something, you know. But if teaching is humble, if it's like Christ, who's gentle and lowly, then it's, it, it's, uh, it's using that gift in love. Uh, let's pursue faith, he says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. That's from Romans 12, 6. So faith that's marked by anticipation and expectation that God will use you. Faith that triumphs fear of man, where you step out and use your gift or share a word, even when it may not make sense. Um, one of the temptations, at least for me, as somebody who wants to grow in this, is I think, I don't know if this is really from the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to be wrong, so I'm just not going to say anything. 
I have this sense of, about something I think I should say, but nah, it's not. It's not worth it, you know. That kind of gets in there. And that's not faith. That's like, well, maybe it is. But what if it is? What if it really is from God? Is being embarrassed is such a bad thing in case you're wrong? <laughs> but what if it is the real thing? And God gave it to me so that this person could hear it and be encouraged. And I've got examples of this. I have a missionary friend. He's in Indonesia now. But when he was in the States, he was walking past, he was walking, you know, kind of just reading his Bible, just praying, walking around a park. He, there was a lady sitting on a bench, and he was walking past this bench, and he had, some, he had an impression of a verse, like some obscure Old Testament verse. I don't remember what it was. It just kind of hit him. It wasn't what he was reading. And it happened right as he was approaching his bench, and he didn't know what to make of it. He sucks walking past the bench with this lady on it, and it kept impressing itself even more strongly. This verse just was like strongly, and it's like, like it was getting his attention, and he realized, well, maybe I'm supposed to, maybe it's for this lady on this bench. So he turns around, he goes back to the bench, and he says, uh, excuse me, uh, you don't know who I am, but like, does this verse mean anything to you? And he reads this obscure Old Testament verse. And she was like immediately impacted. She's like, yes, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking just now. But you could just walk past the bench and go, ah, yeah, that's just me talking. Or you could turn around and you could go over to the bench and you could say, does this mean anything? And if they say, no, okay, never mind. <laughs> You walk away. <laughs> but if it is, what happens in that moment? You're strengthened. Aha! Sometimes these impressions are from the Lord. Sometimes they're revelations. And then you're encouraged to grow in it more. But you don't, you don't grow in it if you don't actually try it out. I think prophecy is a gift like teaching. You can grow in it. And you usually grow in it by doing it. Right? Like you grow in teaching by teaching. You have to learn the basics of it and everything, but then you actually have to try to do it, right? And do it over and over and over again. And then you grow. You can fan into flame the gift by using it. So prophecy is no different. But it takes faith to step out uh, that expects God to work, that prophecy is real, and that He is speaking. So I totally agree with that. Pursue faith is important. Pursue opportunities. Um, guess I'm already speaking about that. You don't get better at it until you do it. Um, opportunities present themselves. He lists some here, prophesy at home. So that might be um, if you've got a family living with you or relatives living with you. You know, I think the Lord would say this to you. Try it out on them. If they love you, they'll just say, no, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> but... If the Lord has given you a, like an impression for somebody, try it out on the people that you know will still be around afterwards in case you did it wrong. <laughs> At home, uh, gifts, how the gifts are experienced and used publicly should be a spillover from what we experience privately. You know, most likely the first time you say something is not going to be when the room is full of people. Uh, you're going to try it out in some smaller setting, like in a, a small group. Uh, or in a prayer meeting. So in our church, we started something that we called Holy Fire. I didn't actually want to call it that, but somebody heard me say, maybe we should call it Holy Fire, and then that became the name of it. It was just a time where we were going to be intentionally pursuing, receiving from God his gifts. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to listen. We're going to listen. Does the Lord have anything to say to us through a word? And so we're going to encourage prophecy in this meeting. We're going to encourage tongues and interpretation in this meeting. And we're going to do it in this smaller setting so that we can maybe figure out how to do this right. And then as that grows, maybe that spills over onto a Sunday morning. And so we've been doing that for a couple of years now, once a month. It probably takes more than once a month, though, to really grow in it and to press in but it's a start anyway starting in smaller settings being open to sharing impressions with unbelievers or strangers in wise ways 
I was in a Starbucks uh, meeting with a guy um, who I didn't know real well. What happened was I was I I, uh, I did the opening prayer of the of the city council meeting in our city. You know they're inviting pastors to come and you give a give a prayer before the whole council met and did all the city business. And I thought here's an opportunity to have the name of Jesus in our public square, you know? So I went down there and I did the invocation. And then as I was leaving, this guy comes up to me, hey, pastor, pastor, let's get together and talk. So we meet in a Starbucks, and this guy, um, we're talking, and then he's, he keeps looking behind him at somebody at this table over there, and like he was distracted. And uh, eventually he's like, I gotta go talk to that guy. So he gets up and he talks to this guy and he says, I think, let's, I just want to tell you, brother, I think, I think the Lord has given me a word for you, that you're a mentor, and that you have a heart for young men, and young men are going to seek you out for counsel, and you're going to be the father that they didn't have. <laughs> he doesn't even know this guy. And then he says, so does that make sense to you at all? He goes, actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have, I have a heart for that. I've been thinking I want to do that. And so then, you know, we finish up our conversation, and then after we're done, he says, I'm going to go talk to this guy some more. You know, and I leave. I'm just like, wow, that's boldness. You know, like, you don't even know this guy. Like, in the middle of Starbucks, coffee shop, by the way. You know, I don't know if you have those here. You have coffee shops, but not Starbucks. I thought, wow, that's bold. But he didn't, that wasn't his first time, right? He, uh, he had obviously done this a lot. I thought he did it well, though. Um, any questions about anything so far? Yes. So your question is, are we going to talk just about how we would practice it or also like how to respond to it when we hear it from somebody else? Yeah, how do you know if it's from the Lord and not just something that you made up in your own mind? Oh, like from the devil? <laughs> well, your first line of defense is always, what do you know from the scriptures? What does the scripture say? The devil will twist things around. And so the more you're familiar with scripture, the more you can identify some, something that's wrong, that's wrong. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They, they hear my voice. They know me, and I know them. So I think that the more we get close to Jesus, the more we hear his voice and know his voice. And we can say, yeah, that sounds like him. Or, no, that sounds, that does not sound like him. I think that would help us to know whether this is some kind of demonic thing. Um, which it won't be if we're really walking close to the Lord. But, does, but if you don't know, let's just say it's kind of generic, you know, like, this four to six year old boy walking with the dad in the mountains that I, the prophetic word that I got, like how do you know? In that case we know because after the fact I actually realized that is exactly what I need and I was refreshed when I did what was in that prophetic word which was just chuck the two boxes of books and go hiking. And it actually was what opened me up to really receiving a whole bunch of stuff from the Lord. So that's how I know that prophetic word was from the Lord, because of the fruit of it. Um, and then if there's details, if there's any kind of future element to it, and those come to pass, it's another way of knowing. So like my friend who had the, Mark Prater had the word for him, he had, an, he had a tangled mess that he was going to have to straighten out and it was going to take a while, and his wife was going to need to be there to help him get through it. Um, he didn't at first think that that was probably for him or really couldn't figure out what it was until his dad died. A few months later, he found out what the mess was, and tangled mess was the exact word he would have used to describe what it was. Then he's like, yeah, that's what that was for. That was true. So I think the fruit of it, of course, obviously, whether it's scriptural or not.
and, and how the other person receives it, which sometimes might not be right away. But for, in my case, it was a little bit delayed, and then I thanked that lady. Afterwards, I said, thanks for that. <laughs> that was really helpful. You might speak the word to somebody, and it might not land on them right away, but later, it might totally, oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think Ab Agabus was maybe a little overconfident in the, the Holy Spirit says, but the Holy Spirit did say, so he wasn't really wrong. It's just that part of it was his own, his own thoughts. I, I don't ever witness Mark Prater doing something like the Holy Spirit says um, with that kind of authoritative sort of a comment. It's, it's more nuanced than that. That's, that's, that's coming up too. But, but basically, it's like, you know, I feel like the Lord is saying or it seems that the Lord is saying or I had this picture that I think is for you. That kind of language helps us to remember, you know, this isn't for me. I'm just going to try to report what I heard. Um, and you tell me if it, if it makes it, if it lands or not. That kind of attitude. As opposed to, I have a word for you. <laughs> you better listen up right now. I think confidence can grow in that you are hearing from the Lord the more you practice it. Yeah, definitely confidence can grow. Yeah, it gets fuzzy for me the difference between, say, word of knowledge, um, encouragement as a gift, and prophecy. They seem to be overlapping, in my opinion. And I think in Sam Storm's Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gift, he makes more clear distinctions between the two. Maybe they're the right, maybe they're right, maybe not. I don't know if we have to really know for sure what to call it. As long as we receive something that the Lord seems to be saying, maybe it's insider information, maybe it's just an, a sense that somebody needs to hear a scripture. Uh, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's a word picture. Maybe it's future oriented. Let's just to say, let's just realize this is from the Lord and let's say it. Let's get used to saying it. Let's get, um, let's have faith that God wants to speak through us to people. And the, the effect should be encouragement. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 3, that it's for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Prophecy is. So that should be the effect. But not, prophecy isn't the only thing that encourages. So I don't really know where to draw the lines on some of these things, but I think what we want to do is be open to receiving, get practiced at discerning when God is speaking, and have faith to say what we think that he's, what he's giving to us. And then the Lord will, if it's, if it's from him, it's going to have the effect that he wanted. And it'll be something, it could be encouragement, it could be conviction, like the, you know, if, if all prophesy and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all. <laughs> he has sins of his heart. The thoughts of his heart are exposed. So sometimes it's conviction, sometimes it's encouragement. Most of the time, it should be encouragement. But let's, let's keep going on this, because we'll get to some of that. I'll say, getting started, if you're new to the prophetic, pray. Pray a lot. Pray throughout the week. Pray before care group, before Sunday meeting, with your hanging out with people. And I think what he's just meaning is, Lord, just ask the Lord for a word. You know, Lord, help me to... Bless the people that I'm with. Is there somebody who needs to hear something? I'm, I'm open to being your servant for them. If you want to say something specific to a person, I'm open to being that person that you say it through. And just ask him for it. I think that's a starting point for earnestly desiring that you may prophesy. Lord, I'm open. I'm asking. Uh, Give me, give me a picture. Give me an insight. Whatever. I'm here to serve these people. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to hear from you. So that's the kind of praying so that we're setting ourselves up for it. Prophecy is probably not going to happen just, you know, you're just sitting there. You're thinking about, you know, what you're having for dinner tonight. And all of a sudden, <laughs> prophetic words start happening to you. I mean, I think this, there's got to be some pursuit. And that looks like praying. And then stepping out in faith, step out and share. 
your word doesn't have to be eloquent or long. This is something that I've, <laughs> we've had to talk to people about in our church. Like somebody will get a word and they'll say, I think I've got a picture for somebody. And we say, yeah, that sounds good. Why don't you share that? So we give them the microphone and then they expand on it all over the place. <laughs> you know, like, you told me just this one thing, and now you're going on for like five minutes. Like, I think the one thing was all we needed to hear. <laughs> you know, we feel a prophetic word, you can feel like you have to add commentary, uh, that it turns into a teaching moment or something. And people, when they get a microphone or get in front of people, all of a sudden something takes hold, and uh, like, I got to say more, you know. I think whatever the Lord says is what people need to hear. We don't need to add to it. It, it doesn't need to be this long thing. And I remember um, one of the few times I think something was really prophetic. I was uh, marrying two people. I was doing their wedding. And I knew that the bride, uh, she had been married before. She was a non-Christian and her husband was a non-Christian. She got saved. He didn't. He, he committed adultery, left her. I thought that she had the opportunity to remarry in the Lord. So we got to the wedding, and this woman had a background where she loved the Jewish people and she loved Jerusalem. Um, she's just always interested and fascinated by Israel. So anyway, I, as I was preparing to what I was going to say, I, I thought of Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15 which says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. <laughs> I can still remember she started to weep just by saying that verse. Because she was thinking about her former life and how she tried to save her marriage and her husband committed adultery and she felt shame for years and years. Didn't think she could remarry. Didn't know if that was allowed in the scriptures. And when she heard, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. It's like... Renewal, joy, freedom, entering fully into the moment. So, I just stir up because I can remember it. You don't need to elaborate. I wanted to say more. I wanted to like start saying, okay, now let me teach you what this really means. <laughs> I didn't need to do that. The Lord wanted her to hear that, and that's all she needed to hear. So, we don't need to be long and eloquent. Just share what God gave you and see what happens. Um, C, get input from those around you. So he says, if you're going to share something with a group and there's an opportunity, run it past somebody else first, somebody you trust as biblically informed and open to the gifts. In a Sunday meeting, Common practice and sovereign grace is to have someone monitoring the prophecy mic. So that's how we do it in our church on a Sunday morning. We have a microphone in the back. We don't put it in the front because weird things happen when people get in front of the church. All of a sudden they, you know, not used to public speaking or whatever, and it gets distracting for them. So we put it in the back of the room. And so uh, they'll come up, that we have a guy, uh, usually a pastor, maybe a deacon, just somebody who's spiritually mature, understands the gifts, understands prophecy. And uh, the person will come up to them and say, I think I have this word to share. And they'll talk about it a little bit, and they'll, they'll weigh it in that moment. They'll weigh it. Yes, that sounds like the Lord. Or it might be from the Lord, but it's not appropriate at this moment. Um, that doesn't seem to fit right here with what God is saying. It might be legitimate, but it doesn't seem to fit right here. And we might ask him to go sit down. So that's how we do it. We, we, we just have it, we run it by somebody before we say it to a big group. All right, let's talk about giving prophetic words. Um, or maybe I should stop. Any questions? Yes. 
to distinguish between whether it's a prophecy or something else? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can decide to do that in your own context, whatever you think serves the church, as long as it's um, edifying, as long as it fits into the big picture of what you're trying to do. We, we don't always call it the prophecy mic. It might narrow it down too much. Some, some people would call it the ministry mic or the contributions mic. But we want people to know that if you feel like there's something that the, the body needs to hear or somebody in the body, where's the opportunity to do it? So we try to make it clear. Here's your opportunity. You go over to this microphone, you talk to this person. Do we have to decide whether it's a prophetic word or a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge? If I'm the one by the mic, I'm not trying to think. I gotta make sure I categorize this. I could just say, Go ahead. So we have somebody who's got something that the Lord has given them, we think. I think that's a matter of wisdom for the pastoral team. Everybody might do that differently. Some might be more clear. I'm a little more loosey-goosey. Yeah. Well, sometimes we feel justified in just telling somebody to wait or to go back to their seat because... Um, under the next point, giving prophetic words, 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 30. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. There's a place for saying, yeah, okay, let you be silent because somebody else has something to say. <laughs> and maybe that somebody else is that we're singing this song right now or the pastor has something to say or whatever. We feel like you don't have to say it just because it, it might even be a revelation from the Lord. But maybe it's a revelation for a specific person that you should talk to later. Um, maybe that is for a different context. Maybe that's something that you put in an email to somebody. There are other reasons God might have given that person that revelation. And so we decide as the elders, does that fit here or does it not fit? And it doesn't look like from 1 Corinthians 14 that it has to be said. I mean, let the first guy sit down, it says. <laughs> he doesn't have to keep going. So it doesn't have to be said. So we feel justified in saying sometimes, sometimes it's real, but it's not needed right now. And that's a judgment call. But it says, let two or three prophets speak. So he's not saying just have an endless line if everybody in the whole congregation feels like they have something, let's just do it for the next hour. <laughs> He's like, you know, keep it to a certain number. Don't, don't let it go on forever. Yeah, for sure, because like Josh was saying, we prophesy in part, right? Maybe that word, once you got it, you should have gone up to that mic microphone right away, but you hesitated, you waited, you were unsure. But now we've moved on. You know, the church is, is in a, we're thinking about something else now. It's too late for that. That, that was for back there. That can happen. Yeah, I'd say maybe another time. Maybe that was for either another time or for a person that you can follow up with later. Yeah. But it could have been it was for the church, but because you, you didn't have faith and you waited and then all of a sudden you were feeling guilty about it, and so now you want to say it, it might just not be the right place anymore. That was, that was a word for that time, and that time was 15 minutes ago. So that's the judgment call you're making as a, as a leader, trying to discern these things for your Sunday morning. So just trusting the sovereignty of God, and you might give the word, you might not give the word, trust the Lord, whether you do or don't give it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you don't get the sense from Paul that he's thinking, we've got to really make sure that we get everything the Holy Spirit wants to say into the meeting. I mean, he's saying two or three prophets, no more than that. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not to the degree of importance of the preaching and the teaching of the church. So, like, it's good to have it. 
But let's not get too worried about, uh-oh, we missed God's will because that didn't get said. He doesn't seem to have that attitude. We trust the Lord. But we can grow in the gifts, though, and the gifts are for edification. So if we missed an opportunity or whatever, or if we're not listening to the Spirit, we're afraid to say anything, yeah, that's good, thank you. Let's grow in that so that we can have more of the full ministry of the Spirit on any given Sunday. Uh, let's talk about giving prophetic words. Uh, remember, God's purpose is edification. They're all for the common good. Will this word edify or strengthen the group or the individual I'm sharing it with? Definitely, that has to be our goal. Uh, as opposed to, I had a really great inspiration in my devotional time this morning that I want to share without really knowing if that's appropriate for anybody else. You know, maybe that was just for you and your devotional life and not, not for your church. Um, some people might just want to be eager to talk. So the goal has to be edifying the group. And um, so that's, that's got to be there. can't be just about, I want to talk to people. Um, ask God if he wants you to share the prophetic word. So if you're sitting in a meeting or small group or church meeting. Um, do you want me to share it or not? I'm getting this impression, but maybe it's, maybe it's for this group. Maybe it's not for this group. Maybe it's for somebody else. Uh, see, don't presume to know the interpretation and the application. <clears throat> I think uh, that's what happened with the people in responding to Agabus. So Acts 21, 11 to 13. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. So here comes the people's interpretation and application. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> so their interpretation of the prophetic word was, you're going to be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. So that must mean the Holy Spirit is telling us that so you don't go. Like, he is saving your life. <laughs> uh, he's by telling us this. That was their interpretation of the prophecy. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul didn't think that was the right interpretation and application of that prophetic word. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm constrained to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> and I, I'm fine with it if I get arrested. I'm fine if I get executed. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So thank you for your love and your concern. <laughs> But I'm still going to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit is right. Yes, when I get down there, I'm going to be rested. But I'm still going to go. So just a rem reminder not to immediately think, I know exactly what that is. Um, you might, it might be what you think. It might not be what you think. So anyway, as the person sharing it, it's good not to try and elaborate too much. Uh, Josh was actually given an example. He had a picture, very detailed picture. Interpretation of what it meant was off a little bit. So share the picture and see how that lands. And, and we'll have some sort of a, an interpretation. We'll probably say something about it. But uh, to not be too confident in our interpretation. So, don't presume to know the application. Share your prophetic word with humility. Spiritual pride is always a temptation when you know God has used you. And that was probably the issue in Corinth. That's why there's the whole chapter about love and so forth. Um, who sees anything different in you? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If you do get a prophetic word or a sense... That is not necessarily a sign of your great spiritual maturity. It's just God's gift. <laughs> and so it's not like you generated this. It's not like you have this inherent ability 
to know people's minds and hearts and to know the mind of the Lord. You don't have it. I don't have it. It's a gift from the Lord. So humility is required, saying, okay, God gave me a report to give to you. I'm a messenger. I am not the originator of this information. <laughs> I am not your Savior. The, God, the Lord is your Savior. All I'm just saying is what he told me to tell you. That's how, that's how we should approach this, with humility. Uh, never like, I don't know, I hear the word false prophets being used in this context here in your city. Right? I think I've heard you say this, false prophets. I'm guessing that a lot of what happens there seems very authoritative and you must listen to me because I'm a prophet. We don't want to have anything like that in our attitude. Um, sharing prophetic words that seem more corrective in nature. Yeah, so we have to be careful. They can be. Otherwise, when... Uh, if the outsider unbeliever enters and he is convicted by all, then that must mean that sometimes that information is convicting. And if it's corrective in nature, we need to be careful about how we do that, sharing it with care and gentleness. Um, and especially, <laughs> don't prophesy to those with whom you are angry, jealous of, or in conflict with. I mean, you, you're laughing because you know the temptation. Like, if I'm in an argument with somebody, you know, what I can always do when I wanted to is, like, give them a word from the Lord. You're in sin, thus says the Lord. <laughs> Repent. I mean, I could see that temptation. Like, if things go sideways, I'm just going to bring a prophetic word in and end it. Uh, <laughs> So we've got to remember our own hearts are in, in, engaged in this. And so if we are in a conflict with somebody or upset with somebody, it would probably, we'd be very hesitant. And just don't do it. Just don't bring somebody a prophetic word when you're in that condition. Because the goal is edification, not your sense of vindication. <laughs> right? Don't trust your impressions for those who are sinning against you. <laughs> I think we have all sorts of impressions about people who are sinning against us. And they're probably not all from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> avoid, avoid using thus saith the Lord language. Remember, you could be wrong. So better to say something like, I believe the Lord gave me a word for, or I have an impression that. I think that that's a better way to do it. And then last thing, core distinctives that mark the prophetic model at Covenant Fellowship Church they are theologically informed, so they're always teaching about this. They have a course that they put somebody through who's thinking about joining the prophetic team. Um, it's gospel-centered because it's gifts that serve to exalt Jesus, not the people. Like after, a, after a prophetic word is given, you shouldn't think, wow, we've got great prophets in this church. What we should be thinking is, wow, we've got a great Savior in this church that cares enough to speak to me. It's church-based. That's where the gifts are cultivated. Don't forget 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is a church context where all of this teaching is taking place and where this prophesying is taking place. Um, that's where that should be cultivated. It's evaluated there. So if you've got somebody who's kind of a traveling prophet, I'd be wary of that term to begin with. But a person who has no accountability is not somebody that's safe, even if the gifting is real. Church is where it should be practiced the most. That's where it should be cultivated anyway. Governed. Uh, pastoral oversight, it's not every, anything goes. So in our church, we do that with a mic, a microphone, and a person standing by it. Okay, so any more questions about prophecy? Did I get to your question, Yebseka? Did I ever answer it? Yeah. Uh, in a church setting, the pastor is overseeing it. He's the overseer. He's responsible for everything that happens in a meeting, the, the pastor's on site. And so... It would make sense for me that the pastor is going to be the one who steps in. 
or somebody that they have delegated who they think is just really discerning in the gifts and in also spiritually mature and also with some sort of leadership where they know how the church is working right now, what's the flow of the liturgy and so forth. They could delegate that, but that's somebody who's involved in leading the meeting should be the one to, to do that, somebody that they've given that role. Otherwise, um, if I'm saying, let's say I'm the one who's giving a word, I might feel like I want to keep going, you know, like, wait a minute, I'm not done yet, you know, you, you wait for me, I got more to say here, <laughs> you know, so that's where the, somebody who's overseeing the meeting, I think, needs to step in and say, no, I think we're, I, I think we've heard what we need there, thank you, uh, we'd like to hear this next one now. That would make sense to me, because it is a church setting, a church has eldership, and uh, whether they do it themselves or delegate somebody to do it, it shouldn't be, I don't think, just the prophet who's got the, the say on how long he wants to go, though you hope he would have self-control, but we don't know. <laughs> well, at least in the Old Testament, there are definitely the sons of the prophets. There was, uh, it was Elisha who had a bunch of prophets who lived with him, and one of them lost his axe head in the Jordan River, and he threw the stick on there, and the axe head came out. Um, so at least you have... In, you have I haven't researched this, so I don't know. I'm not the one teaching it. But I can picture settings like that in the Old Testament where there seem to be prophets together, learning. Anyway, if you have a gift, if there's a gift called prophecy, why not have settings to grow in it just like we have settings to grow in pastoral ministry? Like we're sitting together as a group here learning how to preach and teach and lead churches because we have a gift of teaching or a gift of leadership. Why not also create a setting if you have a number of gifted people where you can train and make sure that we're growing in these gifts and uh, being examples of it that would inspire other people to also pursue the gift. At least that's the effect that I've seen on Mark's team. So that's why we invited him to our church because we want to grow in the gifts, but we don't really know how to do it very well. But when they come and give a seminar and then they actually demonstrate it because they have a team that's been trained in this and they operate in the gifts, it's like, okay, that's very helpful for me. So I can see all sorts of practical value. I don't think that every church needs to have a team or can have a team, but in Covenant Fellowship, they, they've been able to for years. Well... I can start with the example of Covenant Fellowship. Though they have a prophetic team, I, I was there, was it last Sunday? Two Sundays ago I was there. No, last Sunday I was there. Yeah. Well, anyway, recently. And uh, even though they have this operating team, and uh, that wasn't like a prominent thing on Sunday morning. There's a period where people do come up to the mic and they say a few things. And there are prophetic words given. But it doesn't feel like that's the centerpiece of the morning at all. It has a place, just as a lot of other things have a place. And it's just part of what people expect. So I think that comes from teaching on it, so that people understand it is a gift from the Lord. It isn't the most important gift. If we have it, great. What we always have to have is preaching. What we always have to do is sing to the Lord, things like that. So I think it, it's on the pastor to make sure that this doesn't become overemphasized or central or replace the gospel, um, that we don't build people's expectations up that we absolutely need to have a word from the Lord this morning in a prophetic sense. We have a word from the Lord in the, in the word. <laughs> so I think it's on the pastors to make sure. Like permanent or resident. And some are occasional. Occasional. How can we... So do we have like biblical basis for believing that some are permanent or resident and some are occasional? Biblical basis? Well, gifts of healings, plural, seems to be both in the life of Jesus and the apostles... 
Well, not Jesus. He could do it at any time. But the apostles couldn't do it at any time. So Paul left, well, when we get to the healing part, Paul left Trophimus in Miletus where he was ill. <laughs> and then he would go and heal somebody on uh, a guy named Publius. Um, so he couldn't do it at will. He left some people sick. So, so by example, we see that it wasn't something that could just be done at will. We know that about healings. In uh, prophecy, it says, if a revelation is made to another, let the first sit down. If, we don't know. It might be made, it might not be made. So that doesn't seem resident. But you can still, you can still say a person is prophetic because as a person grows in that, they are more often going to hear from the Lord. They're going to be more sensitive to his voice. But is that the same thing as saying, I have a resident gift that I can just do this when I want to do it? Doesn't seem like it. Whereas our experience, at least, of the gift of teaching, which an elder has to have, or he can't be an elder, right? You have to be able to teach. And that does seem to be something that you work hard at. You take a whole year at pastor's college and more. You get training and you get good at it. You do it more and more and more. And I think that feels like a resident gift, something that's more ongoing. And maybe that distinction is just an observation as opposed to a theological position. Maybe there's a spectrum um, something that seems to be very often and almost always there and something that seems occasional and very once in a while, like miracles. And then in, in between, something else. And there's growth. Fan into the flame the gift that is in you, Paul said to Timothy. So you can have a gift but not be really acting in it and it can grow until it becomes more and more prevalent. So I think it's helpful, though, to think of things in terms of at least the spectrum. Some things that seem more permanent, resident. Other things that seem very occasional. You can't just call it up at will. A uh, gift of interpretation of tongues, for example. It's not like somebody is sitting there who knows 3,000 languages, and as soon as they hear one, they're like, oh, I know what that is. Um, Paul says, pray that you may have the power to interpret. You don't have the power to do it, but you might get the power in the moment to interpret. That sounds very occasional and not resident. Does that make sense?